Welcome to the Rappaport Diamond Podcast, and now your host, Javi Kravitz. Welcome to the Rappaport Diamond Podcast. I'm Avi Kravitz, Senior Analyst at Rappaport, and today's episode is a schmooze with the Rappaport editorial team, as I'm joined with none other than our Editor-in-Chief Sonia Esther-Sultani and Senior News Reporter Leah Maravich. We cover the glitz and glamour of the Tiffany store opening, the auction market ahead of the major Geneva auctions, the Gem Genève show, and some of the retail trends observed by Signet Jewelers in its recent Investor Day with some quirky, fun, and informative observations by the team. It's always fun and informative chatting with Sonia and Leia. I'm lucky enough to learn from them every day. I'm sure you'll gain a lot from this episode, so please enjoy our conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Rapport Diamond Podcast. I'm Avi Kravitz, the Rapport Senior Editor. Emphasis on the word senior, I think. And with me today is our talented team. Firstly, Sonia Esther-Sultani, our Editor-in-Chief. Welcome, Sonia. So great to see you. I'm happy to be here, Avi. And also with us is Leia Marovich, our Senior News Reporter. It's great to have you on the podcast again, Leia. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. And it's been a while since we've done a team podcast. And uh, it seems, I don't know, it, it feels like the market's quiet, but there's a lot happening. And there's a lot of information that's coming our way. There have been a few uh, big events, I think, within the greater jewelry industry. I think we'll get into a few of them. We're going to touch on the Tiffany store reopening after its renovation. There is the auctions coming up. There's the Gem Genève show that we'll touch on all these topics throughout our time together today. But I want to start with the Signet Investor Day that they held a few weeks ago, where they gave some interesting observations about the market, about the jewelry space, and particularly in bridal. And so, Sonia, they mentioned that uh, they're expecting a boom in bridal, but at the moment it's it's quiet. There's There seems to be this pent-up demand for bridal. So is that something that you're seeing and hearing from the retail space in general on the bridal market? It depends who you speak to. I think if you speak to the independent, they will tell you there's a lot of people getting custom work. It seems like more and more people are ordering very specific rings with a lot of meaning, a lot of stories. So that's more like the independent designers. If you speak to them, they tell you it's going very well. I think Leah is more familiar maybe with the US retail market and what it means. But it seems like it's more people are getting maybe more interested in different type of pieces than what it's offered at Signet. I think from what we see, but this is because I speak to a lot of high-end designers and uh, independent designers who love doing custom works and independent retailers as well. So I don't know where's the bridal market going. It seems like it's a bit in between, between the people who didn't really plan their wedding yet, you know, because of COVID, because people are getting engaged a bit later. I read an interesting statistics that more women are getting married after 40 these days, 75% increase of women. So that gives, you know, hope for uh, people to buy maybe a bigger ring because you waited for a bit longer. And there's hope for men over 40 to uh, to, to find that right one. Still, exactly, right? exactly. I wouldn't <laughs> say, but I think yeah. I was talking about the ladies and they said, you know, the only problem is that there will be fewer old, you know, bigger anniversaries. Maybe ruby anniversaries will be a bit, you know, far in between because people get engaged between the age of 40 and 59. But I don't know, what did you say, Leah, for the most, you know, well-known retailers in America? Well, I was actually surprised that Signet said that engagement ring sales weren't going so well because a lot of the independent jewelers that I spoke to said they were going really well. There was a lot of engagement movement over COVID when people who were on lockdown together realized that they could live together happily. 
I think maybe part of the reason is because during COVID, people took a big liking to supporting their local and independent jewelers. So I think it's a possibility that maybe Signet suffered because of that. I think that Signet sort of mentioned that there's still this adjustment that the market is undergoing off from COVID and that the delay in engagements was a result of that. And that's kind of opposite to what you're saying that it was the experience among the independents. But I think there's both sides to the coin that are probably right. I think you're right that independents did see this. There may be two segments of the engagement ring market. Those couples who went into COVID together already and realized that they wanted to make that commitment. And then there was that little push after COVID that we saw that those commitments come to fruition. And then there was the sort of dearth in new relationships coming that were forming during those lockdowns. It was difficult to date. It was difficult to meet people. And so it seems that Signet is reporting the effects of that right now. And maybe that we're starting to come out of that as we're moving further and further away from 2020, that people have now had a chance to meet and date and decide to commit together. And that's why they're expecting that, um, that, that bridal boom in the next, you know, I think from the end of this year and going into 2024. Does that make sense to you, Sonia? Yes, I think they even mentioned something like, you know, they expect like we have to wait for 2025, 2026 to really see a big boom because people will get back into this uh, wedding marketplace. So there's something. And I think there was an interesting thing as well about their results. There are a lot of self-purchasing women I know that we talk about the bridal market as the biggest share of their business, but you know, obviously during COVID, a lot of women wanted to treat themselves. They were staying at home. They had more time. So I think that's also something to look at. And hopefully that will also influence what women buy when they buy the engagement ring. Well, coming out of COVID in 2021, it was a record year for the industry. And it seems that it was driven by those self-purchases, I think, um, as people came out of those difficult times. And wanted to treat themselves. You know, I, I came out of COVID and I bought myself the most extravagant ice cream that I could find, <laughs> which was maybe about $5 worth, I think. <laughs> but um, I don't know if you guys treated yourselves to any special gifts or maybe vacations. I know that, um, Leia, you recently came back from a, a good family cruise, I think, right? I did, and we had a great time, and it was so happy and nice to be out after COVID, let me tell you. We went to the Caribbean, which was very nice. Amazing. Well, I think, and that's another aspect that's playing on the market right now is that travel is back. We see that in the ticket prices, in the bookings, that it's more difficult to find to get that good booking um, on the dates that you want. And so the industry is um, back to normality. I think that you have this experience economy coming back. And um, I think, Sonia, the challenge for jewelry retailers is to bring that experience into the store now. Right. And, and we're seeing some interesting things, I think, um, among retailers as they try to up their game within the physical location. Yes, absolutely. I think a lot of them are trying to create this experiential shopping for their customers. Are we, are we thinking of Tiffany? We are, we are thinking of <laughs> Tiffany. I was trying to segue. <laughs> and I think, I'm, I, think I did it. <laughs> it's, it's a nice one because obviously Tiffany is the one that you know, created one of the most classic, well-known engagement ring setting ever in the world with a six prong. So... There's something to say about engagement as well. And it's still one of the, I think, one of this iconic scene, the girl gets to Tiffany to receive engagement ring. So the engagement ring floor is still a landmark. Don't call it a flagship, by the way. This is the landmark. It just reopened after four years of renovation. The renovations didn't start by LVMH. I saw a lot of people saying, oh, it's very French, but actually that's not true. 
It was started by the company before they were bought by LVMH. So, and they worked with a New York architect and there's a very nice feel about it. I think it just looks amazing. It's beautiful. It's elegant. It has this different floors, different experience, the history of Tiffany, the high injury, the silver floor, silver being the core of Tiffany, Tiffany's business, but upgraded. And they had a massive party. I think they partied for two days when they opened it at the end of April. They had Gal Gadot, who's the ambassador of Cutting the Ribbon. And they had a lot, a lot of celebrities, K-pop star Jimin that has, you know, when he posts a picture of him wearing Tiffany jewelry, 7 million likes on Instagram. So I think they they created a really nice buzz about it. Yeah, I mean, uh, the opening certainly, even for someone who never in their wildest dreams would expect an invitation to such a party, there was a, a sense of FOMO because they did a really great job on social media as well, really hyping up the store. And I was thinking about that aspect of being an LVMH project and that the renovation began before the acquisition of Tiffany and the sort of that transition from an American iconic to being within a French brand. But I think, uh, Leigh, I don't know, I don't know what you think, but it feels like LVMH, especially with this reopening, has maintained that sort of American brand feel about Tiffany that um, that it's always kind of had and, and uh, any concerns about um, of it losing its identity and as such would have kind of dissipated. You know, I actually think that they did a very good job moderating between the two. I think it still retains the American touch, but I think it also has that European chic to it that just gives it a little bit of an extra edge. So I think The new name, the landmark, designates it as a destination. A landmark is a destination, a place to go. And boy, was it the place to go. And I think it actually, with all the artwork and the way that they've done it, the spiral staircase is a piece of art in itself. It's a little bit like cross between a museum and a jewelry store. And people came out and forced to see it. I think they were excited. The renovation was supposed to be done in two years, but because of COVID, it took four and I think people were really waiting for it to happen to get out to see it and to enjoy it. And and it seems also that we talk about the diamond market, we talk about the diamond trade, and that it's been quiet for some time um, since the beginning of the year. But the brands still seem to be doing well, and there's still some optimism, particularly on the high end. And that's, that's raised some anticipation for the coming events in Europe, in Geneva in particular, with the Sotheby's and Christie's auctions coming up and the James Genève show as well, which has gained some prominence, I think, in the last year or two um, in the trades calendar. And Sonia, so you're going to be attending the show. It's your first time in two, three years, I think, right? I went two years ago, I think, November edition. Oh. One year they did, it was 2021. I've been loving Jeanne Genève from the first edition, the inaugural one I went to in 2018, that one I remember, because suddenly under the same roof, you could see gemstones, diamonds, estate jewelry of the highest level, young designers, up and coming designers, labs, museums, everyone under the same roof. And what's very beautiful about it is that they tried to keep it small. They wanted something intimate. They didn't want something like Basel World that is so big that the exhibitors feel lost and not looked after. So I think that's the success really of uh, Thomas Farber and Ronnie Tota, the co-founders, that they wanted the exhibitors to feel really special. So they don't accept so many people. There's a waiting list. It's a bit like Chanel or Hermès. You can afford it, but you can't have it. 
So this, this year, I think they over have 210 exhibitors. There's, I know I spoke to very high-end diamond dealers who told me they would have loved to be there, but they were told, no, sorry, we don't want to grow so big. So it's going to be, I think, a very interesting show. I think keeping in the spirit of the show that everybody can speak to each other to keep it intimate, but at the same time where solid business and serious business is being made. And there was that gap within the European sort of higher end um, when Basel World closed its doors and there was that, that opportunity for a show to take its place. And Basel was, was always a big watch show, essentially. And I think that was part of the challenge for the diamond and the jewellery trade, that it was kind of in the shadows of the massive watch exhibition that, that took place at Basel. But Gem Genève seems to have cemented itself as filling that gap. And I think they've had a very clear and um, interesting and effective strategy to achieve that by keeping it sort of in demand and limiting the supply of exhibitors. And, and that also makes it more um, more worthwhile for the exhibitors that do attend. But it'll be an interesting show this year, I think, also because Gen Genève is famously timed around the auctions that take place in Geneva um, in May, the Magnificent Jewels auctions of Sotheby's and Christie's. And there's some there's some mixed expectations, I think, Leia, this year for the for the auctions, right? Um, there's some beautiful pieces coming up in some collections as well. But the auction season got off to a bit of a mixed start, let's say. Well, yeah, actually, following the fall auctions last season, where they didn't do so well, people were really anticipating a great season this year, um, especially because Sotheby's Hong Kong was celebrating its 50th anniversary, and they had a bunch of really special pieces. Unfortunately, some of them really didn't do well. They had a cushion-shaped 10-carat fancy vivid purplish pink called the Pink Dawn that was expected to sell almost $25 million. And I don't know what happened to it. Actually, I checked in with Sotheby's and I got no answer. But it was one of about seven pieces that were over $5 million that were their top pieces that didn't sell. I think, though, the expectation is still good with the Geneva sale, especially Christie's, because they'll be featuring the Heidi Horton collection, which is supposed to be one of the most valuable collections by a single collector ever, valued at over $150 million. And Sonia will be at that auction, so I'm a little jealous, but... Only part one, if you can help. Maybe I won't, I won't see the Sunrise Ruby being, you know, with a gavel like this. That's it, salt. It will be, I think, on the day after I leave Geneva. But uh, yeah, so she mentioned the Sunrise Ruby actually sold in 2015. Sotheby sold it in 2015, and it made a record 30 mil, over 30 million. So it will be interesting to see if lightning can strike twice. And, and to what extent the value has appreciated, A, by being part of this special collection and also in, in a relatively short period of time for an auction piece. Usually these, these special stones, it takes a while for them to come back to auction, but it's a matter of seven, eight years since it was last auctioned. So I think it'll, for us as observers, it's an interesting one to watch. But I think, um, Leia, that Sotheby's Hong Kong auction, and you mentioned that there were a number of pieces that didn't sell, or we don't know if they sold or not. They just didn't appear in the results, right? Um, so that could lead to one of many assumptions of what happened to them. Either they sold privately or they didn't sell at all. They were withdrawn. But certainly the, the Sotheby's didn't give, 
get back to you on your questions has added to the mystery at least it has so there's obviously a, a bunch of different things that could have happened to those jewels uh there was a whole bunch of them so it was surprising that there was so many but my assumption is is that if they sold privately or you know something else of that nature that they would have been happy to let us know that they sold privately so the fact that i not only emailed but i also called they said they'd get back to me and i never heard back and I tried again and they did not answer my calls, leads me to believe that they probably didn't sell and they're trying to not highlight that fact. And it's sad because those were some really beautiful pieces. They were within the expectations of the pre-sale expectations. They were among the, the higher valued um, pieces in that in that offering. Yes, they were. They were the top five or six pieces. Okay, well, Sotheby's, if you're listening, you still got time to get back to us. <laughs> we are watching with interest, and we're watching with interest the, the Geneva sales coming up as well. Um, you excited, Sonia? You don't say. <laughs> it's like everything. It's like a candy store. You know, you have uh, J'aime Genève, you have Sotheby's, Christie's, Philips Previews, meeting my friends, going out with, you know, I'm part of women's association called the Glitterati. They have their big event in Geneva during that time. Meeting our colleague from Antwerp who's coming for a day. Leah Retter who's also our head of sustainability here. So we're going to go around and check some nice stones, I think. Sounds like a lot of fun. And uh, I speak on, on behalf of Leia and myself when I say we're completely jealous of Yeah, of so your, she's of... rubbing it in here, all the nice stuff she has <laughs> well, to do. We are, we are pushing her. So before we wrap up, maybe let's have a think towards the next few months. Sonia, you're going to Gem Geneve. So apart from Gem Geneve and the auctions, um, what's on your radar for the second half of the year, let's say? Um, well, we're talking about shows, I think I really want to see what's happening in Vegas that you're going and I'm not going and they are also we're staying home <laughs> together. So what's happening in Vegas? You know, what is going to sell? What is going to be the, the floor activity? What is going to be trending? Vegas being the JCK show, but also the couture show. Um, obviously, you know, more independent, high-end jurors. Are, these, are the retailers excited about the second half? Are they going to, to store buy things for the holiday season because by June we're already talking about what's happening at the end of the year. So I'm really interested about the trends and also what is going to be on, on buyers' mind after Vegas. I think that's a really good reflection of where the market is going. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of speculation about what is influencing the slowdown in the wholesale market, in the dealer market. And I think there is some expectation that Vegas will give us a better idea of what's happening, at least in the US market, which is um, really sets the tone for the rest of the industry. And what about you, Leia? Is there anything, any news story or industry events or personal events maybe that's... Um, that's on your on your mind. Well, right now, all I can think of is my move next week. So can I say that she stole my answer? I was actually looking forward also to the JCK shows to see what's going on there and what's selling. Looking forward to the upcoming Geneva, New York auctions and really to see what happens in the bridal market, I think. Yeah, I think the bridal as signets really set the scene for or lay the seeds for the rest of the industry to really keep an eye on what's happening in that bridal market. And I think you're right. I think that might be the sort of make or break for the, uh, not break, I think the industry will be fine, but it'll set the tone at least for the industry for the rest of the year. As you mentioned, Sonia, I am, I am lucky enough to be going to Vegas. It will be my first show in two years. I missed last year because um, I didn't get my visa on time. 
and it was a frustrating experience, but I am going this year and I'm looking forward to seeing my old friends and sort of sniffing what's out there in the industry. A big news event that we've written about in the last month and that's coming up, or at least the deadline is coming up in June, is for the De Beers Botswana deals that are being negotiated. They, they've been, been ongoing talks for the last two, three years since COVID that those talks have been extended. And there's a lot at stake that we're keeping an eye out on the makeup of the rough market and how De Beers operates in Botswana and Botswana being such an important center for the industry. And then, of course, later in May, there are the, the G7 nations are reviewing their sanctions program on Russian goods. And there's this talk about introducing clauses to bring in sort of traceability aspects to the imports of goods to the G7 countries. And that'll have a big impact on the industry. So there are those two sort of announcements that are at the back of my mind or at the front of my mind, at least, that I think are going to have a lasting impact on the industry. So it seems like the trade is quiet, but there's a lot going on behind the scenes that is influencing the market. Absolutely. And I think, you know, something that's not behind the scene. Avi always has a joke that I'm doing um, shameless promotion for Rappaport and Rappaport team. But here I'm going to be not shameful at all to say that we won an award for editorial excellence. In business media is the Neil Awards and it's because of our coverage of the Russian sanctions and the Russian-Ukraine conflict and how it has impacted on diamonds. It's a team effort and it's also a multimedia approach. In a, the, in a package, there was an analysis, a written analysis on rapaport.com. There was a webinar uh, and the club, you know, includes everything that we do as well to keep a pace of with the industry and the development. So I think there's some very, very proud of the whole team. I just wanted to say it. And if you want to follow everything that we've done, you can go on rapaport.com and ongoing developments, obviously Botswana, G7, everything that's happening, you know, you can read on rapaport.com. I don't write news, so I don't, I'm really taking, <laughs> I'm really here <laughs> clapping for the wonderful team we have. So that's, uh, I'm looking forward to more awards. That's it. That's where you, <laughs> that's where you, Lea and Avi, for the rest of the year. I'm glad you brought it up, Sonia. It slipped my mind. Maybe it's because of all those awards that I've won. I'm, I'm kind of uh, used to it. <laughs> Full disclosure, this was the first that I've been involved in. So I'm also very proud of the team. And the thing about it is that it's an ongoing story. As we mentioned, it was really the, our coverage at the beginning of the conflict and the various analyses that we did. But this story just keeps on keeps on influencing the market. So we're keeping a close eye on things. So thank you for joining us, Leia. It's been an interesting discussion as always. Um, Leia, we're going to keep an eye on those auctions. And so thanks for joining us. Thank you, Sonia. And safe travels to Geneva. We're looking forward to your reports. Well, now that I'm not going to be stuck at the airport because I didn't take a, a COVID test, which happened last time. I almost didn't fly, fly back. So I'm happy to be traveling post-COVID. <laughs> Thanks everyone for listening and um, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Rapport Diamond podcast. For more discussions, news and analysis about the diamond industry, visit us on rapport.com, follow Rapport Group on Instagram and follow Rapport on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. And don't forget to subscribe to get future episodes. Mm-hmm.